Beyond Hospital Doors, Through the Eyes of a Surgeon, an interview with Dr. Kelly Casey. Sydney Regional Medical Center presents a new podcast series. We are taking our signature health and wellness profile and breaking it down into episodes where we will speak with our providers and top experts on issues that extend beyond hospital doors. In this podcast, we feature Dr. Kelly Casey, a general surgeon who is rated as a top general surgeon and who is known as the Miracle Man through the eyes of a few of his patients and medical staff. Dr. Casey is a part of the Sydney Regional Medical Center Specialty Clinic and travels in other parts of Nebraska sharing his skills, his talent, and his knowledge. This is the topic of Through the Eyes of a Surgeon, a talk with one of our leading healthcare providers and general surgeon on his preoperative, operative, and postoperative aspects and the plan of care. It is a fact that general surgeons are in some ways the most talented doctors in the hospital setting because they're very well trained, very well rounded, and the hospital depends on them to take care of the most sickest of patients. General surgeons are the backbone of most hospitals. Dr. Kelly Casey specializes in trauma, acute care surgery, GI surgery, hernias, breast cancer surgeries, colon cancer, just to name a few. Join us as we go beyond hospital doors. As I will be your host, this is Kimberly Dreyer. Dr. Casey, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) You have an amazing track record uh, and your journey as a surgeon. And you didn't quite start out as a surgeon. Here, I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to do family practice, yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. You kind of went to a, a trajectory of different paths before you actually found your passion as a surgeon. Could you just kind of talk a little bit about that so our listeners can know a little bit more about you? Well, sure. I guess first off, I was born in Omaha. <clears throat> My dad was uh, in dental school in Creighton. And uh, soon after that, uh, we, we uh, moved out of state. And I ended up growing up in Washington State, in a very small town in the northeast corner of, of Washington State. Newport, Washington is a town of about 2,000 people. So a very small town. And he was the, the dentist in town. And uh, growing up, you know, I think he, uh, he wanted me to become the next dentist in the family and take over that. And, you know, I, I really didn't want to be a dentist, but I, I was intrigued by medicine. And uh, we had some really good family practice physicians and in, in my town, and that interests me. So I, I was thinking medicine more than dentistry. And then he, you know, he encouraged that, and, and uh, I, went, I went to college. And then one thing happened after, after another, and uh, I guess I got a lot of really awesome opportunities to do some amazing things. So I didn't go straight through. So, so you didn't go straight through. So you were uh, some kind of a fire trooper, or something. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Right out of uh, well, halfway through college, I got started in in forest firefighting. Uh, I did a couple years on the local forest on an engine, and then I got hired onto a hotshot crew, and that's one of the uh, the type one or specialist firefighter crews. Twenty people on a crew, and they they just basically blast through the forest making fire line 
So it's a little, it's at the same level as a smoke jumper, but doing a different job. So we would work on the big, huge project fires and, and dig like six miles of fire line in a day. And then somehow you had commented that you got into some kind of a construction. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a couple steps in between there. Um, I was, uh, I had planned on at that time switching over to a smoke jumper crew, but I got a knee injury at the time, so I couldn't do that. So I ended up studying Catholic theology and ended up getting a master's in Catholic theology. Um, kind of on accident. And then from that, I had a friend who was a family practice physician who I often spoke with about, you know, medicine about and becoming a physician. And then he recommended, he actually went down to Honduras to volunteer in an orphanage. And at his recommendation, I decided to do the same thing. I'd always been intrigued by Central and South America and wanted to learn Spanish, and I thought it was a great opportunity. So I signed on for one year, and I ended up staying for two. And I um, thought that I was going to be a teacher down there, but they they ended up with a, the biggest need they had was for construction and maintenance, so I ended up sliding into that. And then um, right after we got there, there was a hurricane, and a Hurricane Mitch, and that was in 1998, and it took out a whole bunch of buildings. So I ended up being very busy repairing and building buildings for a couple years. And I actually kind of fell in love with construction. So when I got back to the States, I, I fell into, a, into this, this uh, job where we were building hospitals. So five years I was doing that. And, and I was on this $200 million job building a really big hospital. And one day I came out of this big elevator bank and there's this guy wearing a white coat. He's a physician. And I recognized him. I said, hey, I, I recognize you. And he said, yeah, we went to, we went to school at Gonzaga together. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, and now you're a physician. And so we, we talked about it, and, you know, a lot of things had happened in my personal life. I'd been taking care of my mom, who ended up dying of cancer, and my great-grandmother, who ended up dying at 94 years old. And so all these things that I was kind of very occupied with suddenly the question was coming up again, like, hey, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to medical school? So 10 minutes of talking to this guy, and I decided, okay, this is it. I'm going to go to medical school. So did you pursue family practice, Did you, or did you pursue surgeon? Yeah. So actually, yeah, I went, when I applied for school at Jefferson Medical College, there was a tract that was special, specially designated for rural family practice. Okay. And I actually applied for and got into that. So I was in a special tract for, for rural family practice. And, um, and it wasn't until my junior year that I was on a, um, we call it OB-GYN rotation, where I took a week uh, doing gynecologic oncology surgery. And these are really big surgeries, extensive surgeries. And I, so I was in the operating room for a week, and I fell in love and with being in the operating room and surgery. And it was a very difficult rotation, but I just fell in love with surgery. And that really changed the whole course. That is amazing. And you somehow learned of Dr. Jensen, who is your colleague now. How did that happen? Yeah, so after medical school, then you apply for a residency program. And, and the residency program you apply for is just based on what you want to do. So if you want to be a family practice, you apply to a position in a family practice program. I applied, I was applying for general surgery. So 
I went to my first interview, and, and this was located just north of Philly, an hour north of Philly. I was in this, it basically takes all day. So you meet about five to 15 other people who are also interviewing. And I met Dr. Matt Jansen on that, on that day. And um, he seemed like a really excellent person. So, and the program seemed awesome. And it turns out that it really was. I'd been rated the best surgery program in America on, on one category. I think it was uh, two or three years ago. So I met, I met Dr. Jansen and I said, well, you know, I really like this program. I think I'm going to rank this place number one, but I want you to rank this place number one too. Because if, you know, if I'm, if I'm here, it would be awesome to be here with you too. So he actually did and we got accepted to the same program. So we spent the next five years in the, in the, in the surgery program together. That is an amazing um correlation. You know, Sydney Regional Medical Center is honored to have you here. And in speaking with several families and finding about who is going to be my surgeon, one of the key, I guess, issues in, in through the eyes of a surgeon is alleviating the worry and and or the myths about surgeries and the talent that we have here and just simply your expertise. And it wasn't too long ago that I had a patient to come to me and say, please tell me who this guy is. Please show me his picture. And please, please tell me what he's going to do and, and his personality. And it was an honor to, to know about who you are and the things that you do and Thank just you. simply what the patients have to say about you. You know, in this podcast, we would like to ask some questions about being a general surgeon and explore some interests and topics through the eyes of a surgeon. And with that note, let's go ahead and get to it and okay. ask you a few questions. Your practice as a typical surgeon is not in a big city. However, it is in a rural Nebraska. What are some of the challenges that face you with rural medicine? Well, that's a good question. Well, first off, it's not for everyone. I think growing up in a very small town when, you're, when your dad is the dentist, everybody knows who you are. And, and, I, and I can tell you that in medical school and in residency, there's a lot of people who really aren't cut out for that. They're, they want... They want to disappear, um, and and it literally they would say like I can't I can't imagine going to the grocery store and having somebody say oh hey you know can you <laughs> check out this rash or you know bring up something you know they just that they just panic thinking that might happen so you know it's a it's not for everybody, but so yeah being in in kind of a remote setting or rural setting, one of the challenges is you know what do we do here versus what do we send out or, you know, pass on to a bigger institution? Because when you're in training, you know, everybody comes to you. When they come from small towns, they come from other places and they, you know, you're the big place. And so you're used to just saying yes to everything and everybody and you get these really big cases, complicated patients. And uh, and now you find yourself in a rural setting where it's like, well, we we probably should send this where there's more resources, more diagnostic tests to do, and uh, more support staff. Which kind of leads me into one of our questions that we have here is at times, uh, we here at Sydney Regional Medical Center have to often, sometimes, send people out to other areas, Colorado hospitals. And under that note, is that due to the specialty of different MDs in those locations? 
Yes. So yeah, it gets it gets you know that's that's like I said it was it's one of the the big questions like you know should we take this on because really we can we can do the surgery here, but then postoperatively the amount of care or um, ancillary services, diagnostic tests, you know they we we just don't have and. Um, you know, if you go to a, a regional center where they, you know, they might have surgical residents, right. there's plenty of surgeons in-house all day long that are just, that's their job is to just go, you know, go to the rooms and check on these patients and stuff. So when here we're, we're seeing patients every, you know, virtually every day and we've got all these scheduled cases we, and we only have, you know, Dr. Jansen and I, and with the addition happily of Sabre Pete's, mm-hmm. our, our physician assistant who's been awesome, but you know we just don't have teams of people to to follow up with with the patients and there's also a lot of diagnostic tests we just don't have one of the questions is um, that i get asked a lot and so now we can direct it to you what do you like most about being a surgeon well i like a lot of it it's a fantastic job it's very rewarding i have a lot of fun with the interactions i have with the the staff i mean the the operating room, that's one of the things I fell in love with right away was in the operating room. You've got this teamwork, you know, with anesthesia and the nurses, uh, the scrub techs. You know, there's just a really dynamic atmosphere. I like that. And then with the patients, one of the things that, that I enjoy as being a surgeon is that, you know, frankly, I can spend more time and dive deeper into a problem, whereas with family practice, I felt that I wanted to go deeper into some issues, but... But family practice, they, you know, they, they do an amazing job of, of seeing a lot of people every day, and they have to cover a lot of things very quickly. And it's hard for them to take the time, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour to just di- dive deep into an issue. They just, their, their schedule, the, the nature of their do- job doesn't allow that. But I get to do that. Yeah. So I find that, so I get to personally know people and learn about them and their life and, you know, dive deeper into the problem where, you know, a lot of times it takes a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking to figure out what's going on. That is very interesting in, um, you know, some of the patients that I have worked with, both coming into the hospital and then, of course, discharged, they often call you the miracle man. And <laughs> I don't it, know where that came from. It, well, I think <laughs> it is all about the presentation in when you first met with them, then they have the surgery, and then they're now going out, and, and the passion that you have had with yeah. your patients. And it's quite an honor when you hear patients and staff saying, what a great job and a great um, surgeon that you are, and very passionate about your work. And one of the questions that some people have is, which will go right into your, your plan of care, mm-hmm. how do you manage a patient who is in a critical condition and needing to be rushed to the operating room immediately. How do you handle that? Boy, that, that can be <clears throat> that can be tough. You know, I think of kind of two situations. One is a patient comes up to the office, and you know their their situation has just, in the meantime, after getting a referral or making an appointment, has just progressed to the point where, you know, they might have an infection or something like that. But now the infection is more advanced. So when we when they finally get to me, it's like you know, we take a look and we're like, wow, this, this needs surgery right now. So we're calling, you know, the operating room and, 
getting the patient admitted to the hospital and calling the operating room and saying, okay, well, if there's a surgery going on right, you know, or, or there, they might have been planning for a, some other surgery, let's put that one on hold. This We need a room immediately so we, we get, you know, get them down there right away. Or the other situation might be like a trauma. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, you've, you know, we come into the emergency room and there's a whole team of people and you know, the great thing is we all kind of know what we need to do. There's people who are drawing blood, you know, the, the lab, and the nurses are putting in IVs, and we're, we're checking the patient head to toe. We've got to get some x-rays and, and all these things. And, you know, my role in that sometimes initially kind of like an oversight or directing traffic. Um, and then every once in a while I need to dive in, and, you know, they might need um, some kind of a vascular access, like a a central line or IV or um, maybe a chest tube. So I, then I might have to do some kind of a procedure hands-on focused on that. Maybe they've got some bleeding and we need to stop the bleeding right away. But um, otherwise, I kind of try to step back and let everybody, you know, do their, their job and then kind of make sure that we're flowing in the right direction and we, we don't want to linger we got to get this patient into CT to get some diagnostic tests or go to the operating room or make the decision, hey, this patient is going to need a higher level of care. Let's right. let's get on the phone out. and get a an helicopter in here fast. Amen. What I've heard uh, most about you, as well as Dr. Jensen and Debra, is that you explain your procedures, that you explain, here's what we're going to do, here's what we need to do, and then afterwards, you know, you keep it very patient-centered, patient contact, mm-hmm. which is so important with your role. Yeah, I do. I, uh, and I repeat myself. <laughs> which is good. So, you know, I think when there's a lot of stress when somebody's think you know, has a, has a problem, they have the, the stress of having pain or, you know, a problem that maybe it's a long-term problem or maybe it's just severe abdominal pain or, or what, or maybe it's the stress of having a diagnosis like cancer. Either way, it's hard. You know, these are brand new ideas and complicated concepts sometimes and um, can be overwhelming. So I try to very much speak in a way that, you know, people are going to understand the process and they should know what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and then, you know, what can go right? What, what might go wrong? They have to know what the complications might be. And then afterwards, to have some kind of exp- exp- um, expectation about maybe post-operative pain or how long until they can get back to their normal routine or what have you. So I think that, I think that really helps people to put it all into perspective and kind of see the big picture. Right on. So we are narrowing down to some of the questions uh, in the last of our podcast. One of the uh, questions that was asked to me to ask to you was, what is or was the most challenging situation that you have faced as a surgeon? Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we always have expectation that, you know, we do, we do this surgery and this is the, this solves this problem. So it's hard when you do, you know, like let's say a hernia repair and um, it might be an inguinal hernia and they might have uh, preoperative pain. And, you know, our hope is that when we fix this hernia, the pain goes away. We fix the hernia, Mm -hmm. and sometimes the pain doesn't go away. Or, um, you know, there's there's another complication or or something. That's always particularly hard because, you know, I want to be 
kind of in the business, not only of just solving, you know, this medical problem, but, you know, making it, whether it's pain or, or functionality to get that back. And, and if that, it doesn't always happen, you know, it, it, it usually does, but it doesn't always happen. And that, that can be difficult. Or sometimes you have to work a little bit harder and find out what else is going on because maybe it isn't the hernia, you know, to begin with. And it can be that we fix the hernia and then we have to look for this other problem. Right. Which can be somewhat challenging for both the patient and thank God we have a team who -hmm. can help through that process. You know, in reading uh, some of the qualifications as a surgeon, I'd like to kind of go through these because a lot of these uh, things that I'm going to list for you have been what people have said about you. And so now we can kind of open that up. But your job description as being a surgeon is fascinating in, in the fact that you have outstanding training, formal education, experience. These traits that you have and do possess are very successful in taking on and talking with several patients and colleagues of yours. Here are a few listed in which you do have. They state excellent communication, detail-oriented, leadership skills, dexterity, compassion, very patient, you have physical stamina, problem-solving skills, and great organization skills. But that really is the makeup of what our surgeons do in all areas and aspects uh, of it. Do you have anything to add or share in relation to the qualifications or the skills and traits of a surgeon? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I guess every once in a while, if you ask the operating room staff, they probably would not describe me as patient, but I think we have a very good team here, mm-hmm. really good. I think they were very generous when they gave you that list. One of the things that, you know, I, for good or for bad, I have, I tend to um, focus on what I'm doing at the time. So if I'm in, if I'm in a case, you know, I kind of forget about the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and and that can be good and bad because you said communi- communication skills. Well, when I'm in there, I. I kind of forget what time it is, and I might. It would be good if I tell my nurses, "Hey, this case is going on longer." And sometimes I I forget to say that. Sure. So you know, I get so focused in on what I'm doing, I forget. I literally forget about the rest of the world while I'm doing it, and that I think that's that's good. And sometimes when you ask my nurses, <laughs> they would wish that I would communicate a little better and say, "Hey, we're going a little slow, or we're going, you know, it's going to take a little longer," or "Hey, I'm I'm adding on a new case." So, because maybe we just had a, an emergency come in and now we're going to do and uh, so take out somebody's appendix. And right. so, yeah. All right. Do you have anything else uh, to share? Any, any resources, anything that our listeners could tag into as far as in relationship? Would it be good for them to look into some of their diagnoses or when they consult with you, you pretty much explain with them? Do you providing a care plan, treatment yeah. plan? Yeah, I guess I specifically, um, yeah, if they, you know, if they come into the office and they've got an issue, maybe got abdominal pain for a long time and having a hard time figuring out what it is, because different, they might have a few different things going on. And sometimes it's, it's difficult to get a diagnosis. So, and, and sometimes it helps to get the, the history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there isn't really a test for everything. Sometimes you have to just listen to to the story and, you know, come up with what we call a clinical diagnosis. And then we might do uh, a scope, like an endoscopy, like a, 
an EGD or a colonoscopy to take a look and see if that is right. Sometimes there's another test we would do, and sometimes by the clinical history we can say, hey, you know, in spite of having negative imaging or labs that are normal, this sounds like a gallbladder. Let's go ahead and, you know, pursue that and, you know, thank God most often we're right. Thank you so much uh, for coming today. Thank, thank you, you for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode of Beyond Hospital Doors. To learn more about Sydney Regional Medical Center and services offered, visit us at sydneyrmc.com or visit us on our Facebook page, or you may call us at 308-254-5825. Thank you for your time, and thank you for your continued support. This is Kimberly Dreyer.